The Columbus Dispatch series, Unmasked, looks at the connections between firefighters diagnosed with cancer and exposure to carcinogens released during and after a fire. As part of the series, we're presenting podcasts featuring firefighters and the people around them. In this podcast, reporters Jill Riepenhoff and Lucas Sullivan talk with two people struggling with paperwork to get the benefits to which they believe they're entitled, former Akron firefighter Tim Kling and Plain City widow Missy Collier. Reporter Mike Wagner also talks with Columbus widower David Stewart, who isn't so sure about the cause of the cancer that killed his wife. So it's a job of extremes, extreme fear, extreme boredom, extreme high, extreme low, uh, extreme brotherhood, if you want to call it that, because you're all in the same boat. Family. It was, it was it's in the family. Um, he's a third generation. His grandpa, um, his dad, of course his brother and him are all firemen. It's a family thing. It fit her personality. It was the, it was the perfect job for her in, in many respects. She was very strong-willed, wasn't going to get beaten down by anybody. Running into a burning building to save a stranger is the ultimate act of heroism. To put others before yourself in that dire situation is something reserved for the brave. It requires a special commitment of selflessness many don't make. For many firefighters, they rank God, the fire service, and then family when prioritizing their lives. But there is growing evidence that sacred commitment is killing them. Firefighters get testicular and skin cancer at least two times more than the general public. They are 14% more likely to get diagnosed with any cancer than the general public. One out of every seven Ohio firefighters has been diagnosed with cancer, a dispatch investigation found. When a firefighter dies of cancer, there is no parade. Politicians don't make proclamations. The public isn't aware. But they are dying. In Boston, there's been 190 since the mid-1990s. In Akron, there's been six in the last three years. Cleveland has lost one year for the last 20 years. Up until Ohio passed the presumptive cancer bill, proving cancer was related to their job was insurmountable. Retired Akron firefighter Tim Kling always thought falling through a roof would cause his retirement. But it turns out colon cancer got him. Instead of fishing in his one-acre pond, he has spent his retirement trying to prove that colon cancer was caused by exposure to carcinogens. First came a disability pension, which was denied. Then he filed a workers' comp claim, which was approved, but the city of Akron filed an appeal. The city went, oh my gosh, and they started filing appeals. The basis of the first appeal, we sat in an appeal hearing, and the representative from the city said, Mr. Kling, as serious as your cancer may seem, it carries with implications and ramifications which make us nervous. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's the bass backwards way of saying, well, hey, we'd like to help you, but if we help you, we're going to have all these other guys. So over the next four and a half years, the city filed, I think, close to 20 appeals, all of which I won. Workers' comp upheld me from the get-go. At the end of four and a half years, 20 appeals and $17,500 in attorney's fees that I had to pay, to get to the benefits that I was promised. Uh, I managed to stink, raise a stink. I got the story on TV and, and uh, in the paper and made him look kind of bad. 
And the mayor rode in on his big white horse and said, gee, I didn't know this was going on. Yada, yada, yada. We're going to take care of this guy. So they dropped their appeals. Subsequent to that, I got involved in the next six or eight firemen that came down with cancer. Because every time they'd file for workers' comp for job-related cancer, the city would start their appeal, appeal. And I'd just make a phone call down there and just get your makeup on. We're all going to be on TV together. <laughs> While Tim Kling was in Akron helping other firefighters get their benefits, Missy Collier was sorting through paperwork in her Plain City home, still grieving the loss of her husband, Jeff. The lieutenant died from endocarcinoma in 2006 after 23 years with various departments around Dublin and Plain City. Without the in-line-of-duty death benefits that come with a work-related death, Missy was likely to lose their family home, leaving her and Jeff's three boys homeless. They're exposed to so many things that they don't even realize. They don't think about that. They didn't take the job to do that. You know, they took the job to save people and property, and I don't think they should, if they lose their life in the process, no matter how they lost it, whether it's cancer or falling through a roof or getting hit on the highway in an auto accident, you know, they should, you know, they should be taken care of. You know, they sh their families should be taken care of. Missy Collier's battle for her deceased husband's benefits became an all-out battle with the Department of Justice. Without an attorney willing to take her case, Missy went to every station that Jeff worked at and gathered reams of paperwork that detailed the hundreds of fires her husband responded to. The paperwork showed he was exposed to more than 50 different chemicals time and time again. You know, I, I argued for months. <laughs> to where these guys would even question me. Like, really, what are you doing? It was like, I felt like I neglected them there for a while. But I was trying to save everything he had and everything that he'd worked for. Um, trying to prove that that's where he got it. Because... What we were going to get from the pension wasn't going to be enough to keep everything. So, I mean, I was trying to argue, you know, we didn't have a presumptive law in place. Um, and that still, my opinion's a joke because they can't seem to get it moved. There's so many politics, you know, so many things with it. It's, it's just, it just blows my mind sometimes that to think that he gave up all of this for what he loved to do was Department of Justice um, we, we did go through the state of Ohio I did get one um, that was called the I think death fund benefit or death benefit fund or one of them I did get that one overturned um, they they did you know back bay us so you know we got to keep everything that he worked 23 years for um he, uh, I mean, it just seems like he suffered and he struggled for, I mean, he didn't really, you know, suffer while he was doing the cancer, but, you know, going through it, but sometimes it just doesn't seem fair, you know, because they don't go into a house fire and go, okay, the ceiling plaster and the paint and the stain on the trim and the carpet fibers are going to mix to cause some toxic chemical that they're going to breathe in. They don't take time to do that. They don't have time for that. All they do, you know, they go in, they save lives. They, you know, I, I used to tell him, I was like, um, you have the most depressing job because, you know, you're, you're going on somebody's tragedy. 
either you're going for a car accident, a house fire, some medical or some kind of emergency you're going on. I mean, they don't think about that. They go in and they're in there to save your property, to save your home, to save your family. You know, they don't have time to document all the stuff that was in there to, okay, that's the chemical reaction that was having. And, you know, it was just frustrating trying to deal with the Department of Justice on that. If you don't have a paper trail, if you don't have proof, if you don't have written proof, if you don't have things documented, sorry, you have to prove that that's where you got it. You have to prove that. And my question to the Department of Justice is, can you prove that he didn't? And they, it was, you know, they have all their ducks in a row. Um, you know, I tried to hire an attorney. The attorneys really don't want to take it. So I couldn't find anybody to take the case. I argued it and they sent, you know, they denied it the first time. I argued it and I won an appeal after the statute had, had expired. They let me do it again. They sent them out here and sit at my kitchen table and they still denied me again, which was okay. At the time, it was, you know, we're trying to survive here. Um, but now it's not even about the money. It's about, you know, these guys are, I mean, the, the way, what I told them out there at the Department of Justice was, so you're telling me that you, oh, well, I did actually have a paper trail. I went through their PSOB manual page by page, read every single bit of it. Um, thick, it's a thick book. Uh, and I found connections. I sent it to them. I submitted it to them the second time. And they said, oh, he wasn't exposed long enough. I said, are you kidding me? This is a chemical that's in your manual. And you're telling me he wasn't exposed long enough? They said, no. And I said, who are your test subjects? I said, Did, uh, what 40-year-old guy came in and said, let's test this on me to see. I said, every individual is different. His immune system may not have been as good as somebody else's that was exposed to the same thing. I mean, it was just, it was an uphill battle that I never did win. And that's the crux of these cancer cases. Were they really caused by a mix of toxic smoke created in a fire? It's a battle that pits firefighters against municipalities, fire unions against pension boards, widows against the Department of Justice. But in some cases, even those left behind aren't so sure that toxic smoke caused their loved ones cancer. Did that have an impact on the possibility of causing the cancer? Don't know. One thing David Stewart knows for sure is that he and Barbara Ann Saunders had an unorthodox love story, starting with a cruise ship affair in 1984. They spent the next 20 years off and on drinking rum, beer, and other cocktails while traveling around the world. Stewart, a retired sailing ship master from England, misses his wife dearly. She was a character. She was uh, born in 1954. She was an army brat. Her father was a... Uh, uh, and mother, for that matter, were uh, in the U.S. Army. Uh, she was born in Heidelberg, Germany. And they returned back to the States in 1957. She lived in Columbus her entire life after that. Went to local schools. Went into... Uh, started working down at what was then Lockbourne Air Force Base. I'm not quite sure what she was in, but she was asked if she would be interested in, in the fire department and she said yes and started a career in the fire department in 1974 and that ran until 
uh, she retired from ill health in 2005. But how we met, um, my career was at the time was at sea, and uh, we met on a sailing ship down in the West Indies. She was a great traveler, and she was a passenger on the ship that I was working, and uh, back in those days, uh, non-fraternization policies didn't really exist, so we got away with a lot of things on those ships. <laughs> so, ship. It was a cruise ship, it was a sailing ship, and it was designed to carry about 80 passengers. And uh, so we first met, and that was 1984, and then it just happened that she came back on a cruise the following year. And I, I happened to still be there, so we kind of got reacquainted. We ended up, uh, I was going on leave at the end of her, that second cruise, so we flew back up to Miami, she came back to Columbus, I headed back to Europe, and we really didn't see each other at all after that. We, we kind of kept in touch, Christmas cards, letters, the odd postcard now and again, because as we well know, there's no internet back then, there was no email, none of that stuff. If you wanted to write, you wrote letters, and that's how we slowly built a relationship. Barbara Ann Saunders joined the fire department at the Lockbourne Air Force Base, now called Rickenbacker Air National Guard Base, in 1974. She thrived in the job. She could be a pain in the ass, but she was extremely fair with everybody. But cross swords with her, <laughs> and, and she was right. Uh, you better be, get ready to be run over, because she will run you over. <laughs> and she was five foot five, and uh, she, was, she, was a, she was a pretty powerful lady. Wicked sense of humor. But uh, very, very good at a job. David estimates Barbara Ann fought fires for about 10 years. Then she switched to the fire prevention side, performing inspections. Then came the bad, bad news. And she was extremely fit. And, and as with all the other, with all firefighters, you do your annual physicals. She had to go through that just like everybody else. N never, never had a problem. Um, and it really wasn't until... I've got, to, I've got to figure this one out now. This was would, would have been 2000 and 2004. And uh, we, we, it was right before we were due to go away on our second wedding anniversary trip. And uh, I caught her at home one evening and she was kind of, she was double over. She was in, in, in a little bit of pain. Didn't know what it was. So uh, took her down to uh, OSU. When you when you found her, can you describe that for me? Like, were, was she trying to hide it from you? Was she in the bedroom, or she? Would... No, she was just she was just sitting around, but just the look on her face. I knew something wasn't quite right. And, it, and again, it's it's one of we knew each other so well, and, and when you've got a great marriage, it's it, it gets a little scary when she can outthink you and you can outthink her. So, it didn't take much to notice that something wasn't quite right but didn't know what it was, couldn't put a finger on it. And basically, and this was about two weeks before we were due off on a trip, and I said, okay, if, if we're not right by the morning, we're gonna, we're gonna go down to ER and see what's going on. Uh, we went off on our trip, and uh, at that point, she was hiding something from me. She, she, we, we got through the trip, but she was hiding a lot of uh, the, the pain. We were out in Australia, visiting friends and traveling around. And then we got back, and then probably within two weeks of us getting back from the trip, uh, I was on the road, I was actually in uh, Nebraska at the time, and she called me 
one evening while I was out there and said, you sitting down? I said, yeah. I said, I got news for you. I said, what's that? Been diagnosed with cancer. So that was the, uh, that was the opening shot. So it floored me, obviously. And so, all right, let's, let's start figuring out what the heck's going on. Um, and then it was, we went through various doctors and oncologists and second opinions and stuff and uh, it was found she had uh, breast cancer which had metastasized to the liver. Barbara Ann Saunders lost her battle with cancer on August 8, 2005. In a Columbus Dispatch news article about her funeral, it was noted that her casket was carried on a fire truck that rolled underneath a U.S. flag hanging from the extended ladders of two other fire trucks. Now, 12 years later, David Stewart just does not know with certainty that exposure to carcinogens in the fire service caused her cancer. But family snapshots of Barbara speaking to schoolchildren in the 1980s show that she had a soot-covered coat and a dirty helmet, signs that she had been exposed to dangerous elements that could have caused her cancer. If I look at it now and say, okay, well, she worked on the base for 32 years was working with or in areas where the materials that were pretty hazardous. Um, can we say cancer was caused by uh, occupational issues? The possibility is there, I agree. Whether it was the actual cause, that I, I will never know. Sure. And I don't, I don't, I don't think uh, you, it would be clear to pin it down. Uh, I think it's certainly environmental issues are definitely I believe, a, a contributing factor to occupational cancer. If standards were different, if we knew then what we know now, yeah, I think the, the diagnosis might have been slightly different, but uh, whether oncologists look for occupational uh, issues when they diagnose cancers, again, don't know about that either. Difficult to say. If we knew then what we know now, uh, things might... I think that the landscape would be very, very different. You have been listening to one of a series of podcasts from the Columbus Dispatch, in which firefighters and the people around them tell their own stories in their own words. You can find more podcasts, along with stories, videos, and interactive graphics, online at dispatch.com unmasked. This podcast was produced by Doral Chenoweth, with the assistance of reporters Mike Wagner, Lucas Sullivan, and Jill Riepenhoff, and web producer Patrick Flaherty. I'm Mike Meckler. The Columbus Dispatch is a gatehouse newspaper. For information on how to subscribe to our award-winning print and digital content, please visit dispatch.com.